This podcast is brought to you by BMJ Best Practice. BMJ Best Practice offers evidence-based, continually updated and practical knowledge that will help you make better clinical decisions. Hinipaviruses are an important cause of zoonotic disease. There are two types of virus, Hendra and Nipah. They can cause anything from a mild influenza-like illness to serious respiratory or neurological disease, and they remain an active risk. There was an outbreak of Nipah in India in 2018. To help us find out more, we have on the line Dr. Catherine Hulin, who's clinical lecturer in infectious diseases and virology at University College London. So, Dr. Hulin, you, you, you're welcome. And can we start off by asking you, what exactly are Hinepa viruses? Well, thank you. So, Hinepa viruses is a genus term, and that consists of the two species, as you've described, Hendra virus and Nipah virus. And these are in the paramyxovirus family. So they're the family that includes measles and rubella. Um, and really, we need to discuss them separately because they're geographically very separate viruses, although their clinical presentation is somewhat similar. Um, so Hendra, first of all, Hendra was first identified in 1994 when 14 horses became sick and died, uh, along with their trainer who became sick and died, and a stable hand who was, who was unwell but survived. And all of this occurred in Hendra, which was a suburb of Brisbane, Australia. There have been seven cases worldwide in total, all of these in Queensland or North New South Wales, so along the east coast of the northeast coast of Australia, and never outside that region. Um, however, it is an important virus because four of those seven cases died, and that leads to a case fatality rate of about 57%. Uh, fruit bats, which are called flying foxes in that region of the world, are a natural reservoir. They are asymptomatic, so excreting virus in their stool and in their urine and saliva and um, without becoming sick. But horses, like humans, uh, do become sick and horses are amplifying hosts. So they uh, increase the, the, the virus amount and anybody in contact with their bodily fluids can become infected. Uh, and that's what led to uh, the stable hand and the and the trainer becoming sick with Hendra virus in those initial cases. Then Nipah virus, very separately, um, is probably a bit more important to clinicians in the UK because the total number of cases around the world is ten times more than for Hendra virus. Uh, so important for A and E physicians as well as your infectious disease doctors, and um, important for pediatricians and generalists. Um, just to, to be very aware of this virus. So first identified in Malaysia in 1999, um, again in a small village which, for after which it was named, so Sungai Nipah in, in Malaysia. Uh, and so that was an initial outbreak in 1999 and spread to Singapore and, and was associated with pig farming and, and contact with pigs who have been slaughtered. But it hasn't actually been seen in that area of Malaysia since then. It has been seen almost annually in Bangladesh, and so these Bangladeshi cases are occurring in a seasonal pattern, and that's the season when date palm is harvested in, in Bangladesh. So people place a collecting of a device high up in date palm trees and collect the sweet sugary palm that oozes out. And that sugary liquid is a very attractive food source for bats. So like the flying foxes of Australia, these bats are asymptomatic Nipah virus carriers, and so they excrete virus-laden 
urine, feces, and a bit of their saliva into these date palm collection devices. And, and people are infected by drinking or consuming in any way that, that date palm. So effective control measures in areas of Bangladesh have been to place a cover over that collection device to keep the bats away. But Nipah has been seen in India in three or four different outbreaks more recently in 2018. And interesting data have come from that outbreak, which show that um, the majority of cases were caused by person-to-person transmission. And so, again, this is very important for us to be aware of. It's a highly transmissible virus that can infect relatives who are caring for sick people by contact just with their bodily fluids, but also healthcare workers who tended to those sick persons. And some of those infections were in a referral medical centre, in a CT scanner. So need a virus very important for us to be aware of in terms of person-to-person transmission and risk to healthcare workers. Okay, thank you. And and in that regard, I wonder what isolation measures should you take to prevent spread? So absolutely, isolation measures would really be the key to preventing spread. And and for all of the situations, your your very useful people in the hospital to assist with this would be the infection control team who are very experienced with um, isolation. This is in the UK a category four pathogen. So uh, um, the highest level of risk categorized by our advisory committee on dangerous pathogens and requires very high level protection. We have um, personal protective equipment for these high consequence infectious diseases in the UK, which involves everything from a hood, a visor, a face mask, which is an FFP3, the, the kind that has high filtration, a long gown, a thick apron, Wellington boots and and actually three pairs of gloves. So very high level of personal protective equipment, PPE, to prevent uh, infection to the healthcare worker when caring for these patients. Okay, thank you. That's that's really helpful. And back to symptoms and signs. How would you recognise an affected patient? So uh, the challenge of this is that, like many viral infections, the, there's the range of symptoms that a patient can present with, with Nipah or Hendra virus, uh, ranges ev- from sim- completely asymptomatic to a very severe illness. And somewhere along the way, the influenza-like illness of fever, arthralgia, headache, myalgia, sometimes sore throat and vomiting have been described but the two, the sort of severe end of spectrum of these two viruses are um, respiratory illnesses and encephalitis-like symptoms. So respiratory illnesses would be your ARDS-like presentation, so hypoxia, tachypnea, labour of breathing. And the encephalitis-type presentations would be dizziness, drowsiness, altered level of consciousness. There can be a, a meningoencephalitis presentation, so photophobia. And then sometimes odd neurology, so autonomic instability and and these kind of things. But they're all on the spectrum of um, encephalitis-like presentations. So even seizures and fever could be a presentation of Hendra virus or Nipah virus. Okay, excellent. Great. Thank you. And, And what investigations might you request? So in terms of um, these patients, if you started to think about the diagnosis uh, and you'd be doing that by by this range of symptoms in combination with a travel history to an area um, where these viruses are detected, then you'd 
first of all, be instigating the precautions that we've described and you'd be liaising with your infection control team and your infectious disease virology microbiology doctors. And so if you want to send a sample for testing, then it needs to be in very controlled and organised setup. But the test that you'd be asking for would be a PCR test for virus. Always when we're looking at these viral infections, detection of viruses is really the key and the definitive diagnosis. And that sample might be a blood sample for, for most patients. And if the patient had an encephalitis or a CNS-like presentation, you'd be sending some lumbar puncture fluid if it was safe to collect that. If they had a severe respiratory illness, you might be asked for a respiratory sample from to send as well. But it would be for, for PCR for that RNA virus, which is, which is the suspect here. You can later on, if you've missed the chance of these viremias, the detection of virus is often very short. And if the patient has started to recover, but you're looking back and thinking maybe it was one of these viruses, you might look for a serological evidence. So a seroconversion for Nipah or Hendra virus from IgG negative to IgG positive. Or you might look for an IgM in the acute setting if, if the virus tests were negative. Oh, okay, great. Thank you. And, and what about treatment? Is there any treatment? Treatment is very difficult. So there uh, is limited evidence of what might be successful. With, with both of these viruses, it's supportive care that, that um, would have an impact on the high-level fatality risk. So supportive care for somebody with seizures or an encephalitis process might be the, the benzodiazepines and the phenytoin, symptomatic uh, respiratory support if required, so oxygen or even uh, ventilation. In terms of um, actual antiviral treatments, ribavirin is the kind of go-to nucleoside analogue with broad activity that we use for a lot of viral infections when they um, when we have no definitive treatment. And there is limited evidence that suggests that that reduces the mortality rate, certainly in Nipah virus, where there have been more cases. There are things which are being trialled in, in animal models and um, passive immunotherapy, so monoclonal antibodies. And there's even some new emerging evidence of the new antivirals like favipiravir, which recently gained fame for Ebola treatment. Uh, that might have uh, some efficacy in Nipah and and is being tried in animal models, so could be used experimentally. Okay, great, thank you. And back to the basics, I'm guessing that this is a reportable disease, that, that it should be reported to the relevant authorities, is that correct? Absolutely, and as quickly as possible. Just to talk about what we do in the UK, once you've mentioned your suspicion to your local infectious disease or microbiology or virology team, and they have confirmed with you that that's a reasonable suspicion, who we would call in the UK would be the imported fever service and they're at Porton Down. So that's our rare imported pathogens lab who would discuss the case with UK physicians and, and approve testing and organise that. You'd be very quickly speaking also to the health protection unit in the UK and those teams would then instigate a kind of contact tracing in the wider community and also manage the kind of community awareness and the inevitable concern that that might be uh, that might be happening if this case became public knowledge so yes you would notify very urgently your health protection unit in whichever country you were in but certainly in the UK that would be your local health protection unit okay great thank you and 
Um, what about differential diagnosis? What, what are the differentials and how might you distinguish um, between them? So certainly for the encephalitis processes, which which are common to both Hendra and Nipah viruses, you'd be looking at the differential diagnosis for a, for a meningoencephalitis. So, so you're straightforward. It could be Neisseria meningitis, and you'd certainly have some bacteriological tests for that. In terms of viral encephalitis, HSV would be a very important one to rule out very quickly, and usually the one for which we've started some acyclovir IV and would then stop that when we had shown that it wasn't HSV. But for HSV, you wouldn't have respiratory signs, so that there might be some pointers to pointers there. Japanese encephalitis would be certainly something you'd consider in a patient with an encephalitis coming back from India or Bangladesh. It's certainly endemic there, transmitted by mosquitoes. Things like West Nile, which causes an, can cause an encephalitis. West Nile has been detected on every continent except Antarctica, so you might want to have that in the differential and certainly consider some testing for that. And then even the arboviruses, which we are learning a bit more about their potential encephalitis processes, dengue, chikungunya, Zika, these can occasionally have an, uh, a CNS presentation. So it would be important to think about those uh, cause, other causes of viral encephalitis. Okay, great. Thank you. That's very clear and helpful. And no matter what are the common pitfalls in the diagnosis and the management of, of these diseases? I think the common pitfalls would be not thinking about it. So if I had one piece of advice, and I think this is a piece of advice that all infectious disease doctors give, it's, it's ask about the travel history. If a patient's coming back from a, an endemic area, it's, it's not thinking about those other more rare causes which which would lead you down a different path and certainly with infection control procedures. My other piece of advice would be not dismissing the case uh, just because it's outside of the incubation period or outside of a recent travel history. So Hendra and Nipah both have case reports of a relapse with encephalitis many months or up to a year after the initial illness, which wasn't necessarily a CNS encephalitis-like illness. So in patients who, for example, had an illness that may not have even been diagnosed on return or in the country of endemicity, so say in Bangladesh, who then, you know, up to a year later present with an encephalitis type process and lots of people scratching their heads, all of the tests are negative. Do think about the potential risk of a relapse of encephalitis from one of these really high fatality viruses, but which have survival rates. So this patient may have survived and relapsed with encephalitis, and it would be important to think about then. Also interesting to remember is that the person-to-person -person transmission. So although your patient may be coming back with a travel history where they have maybe been in the country, but, but nothing to do with date palm harvesting or potentially even nothing to do with contact with sick horses from the uh, northeast coast of Australia, but have been in contact with people who were sick or somebody who was sick and then come to you with their febrile, unusual illness, that might be a time to think about the potential person-to-person -person transmission that, that your patient may have, may have succumbed to and may be unwell with Hendra or Nipah virus. Okay, great. Thank you. That's, that's very comprehensive. Last question is, is, what have we missed? Are there any other questions that we haven't covered that you have been asked about these diseases which, which are important? 
often we talk about pre- preventative measures and, and is there a vaccine? People are often worried about traveling to areas where they might be exposed. And I think there, I mean, there is a vaccine for Hendra virus, but, but for use in horses. And I think that contributes to why we haven't seen cases of Hendra virus for a few years. I think the last case was 2009. So uh, certainly for um, Hendra virus, there's an animal vaccine. For Nipah, there is no vaccine, but there have been some recent um, exciting developments, probably spurred by uh, Ebola. So the Coalition for Epidemic Preparedness Innovations was formed just last year, and Nipah is on their list of potentially epidemic-causing diseases of concern. And they they now have a, a vaccine plan for Nipah virus. So I think the future is quite exciting in terms of vaccines for preventing these diseases. Nipah is also on the WHO's blueprint priority diseases um, of concern. So I think uh, in terms of vaccines, it's quite exciting. In terms of potential treatments, things like favipiravir is exciting. And uh, developments in personal protective equipment, which I mentioned as being most important, are have been happening in the UK and, and will be happening worldwide, just spurred on by by our increased awareness of the of viral hemorrhagic fevers, but also highly transmissible, high-consequence infectious diseases. Okay, thank you very much, Dr. Hulan, and thanks to you all for listening. We hope that this has been helpful, and we hope that you'll be able to put what you've learned into action to better care for affected patients. If you do want to find out more, please click the link in the podcast to sign into BMJ Best Practice and BMJ Learning to look at the content on infectious diseases. Thank you once again. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please remember to subscribe and rate us on iTunes.